Welcome to episode 108 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest is Carrie Jeter. Carrie and I met when I was interviewed for her podcast, the Freedom Sisters podcast. She also interviews women veterans about their military experience, but she has a slightly different take on how she does each interview, but it was fun to do the initial interview with her and she asked some similar questions. One of my favorite being, what advice would you give to women who are considering the military? So if you love Women of the Military podcast and you want to hear more stories of military women, make sure you head over to check out Carrie's podcast. And I recorded this interview back in the summer. I might have got a little far ahead. So we don't talk about her new project that she's working on that just released this week, the Freedom Sisters magazine. But that came out this week, and it's something that she has been working really hard on the past few months, and I'm excited to see how it all turns out, and I am going to be a writer for the magazine, so I wasn't in the first issue, but I'll be in a future issue soon. So it's really exciting to get to share Carrie's story this week, and it's exciting that it happened to line up with launch week. I didn't even have to move the schedule around to make that happen, so that's really exciting. So I'm excited to share her interview of her story of military service and what she's doing today. It's another great interview, so let's get started. You're listening to Season 3 of the Women of the Military Podcast. Here you will find the real stories of female service members. I'm Amanda Huffman. I am an Air Force veteran, military spouse, and mom. I created Women of the Military podcast in 2019 as a place to share the stories of female service members past and present with the goal of finding the heart of the story while uncovering the triumphs and challenges women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. show today. Welcome. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? So I decided to join the military because I was a mom of three kids and I had been doing just a bunch of kind of odd jobs. And the very last job I had prior to joining the military was an accounting assistant for a truck driving company. And I wanted a bit more stability and benefits and things of that nature. And I had a little bit of college, so I also needed a way to pay for the rest of my college because I knew that was important for me. But the real reason I joined was because I wanted to be the hero of my own story. And I didn't realize that until I looked back on what my life looked like in that moment. But going forward from like this accounting position and starting over in Missouri, I put on a business suit and a blazer and went into an interview on Whiteman Air Force Base for the Army National Guard. And I walked in as a civilian into a military board with three soldiers sitting behind. And I wasn't really, I didn't really know what to expect. And so they interviewed me like a regular board. And on their little matrix sheet, I guess I outscored based on like my education, my background, etc. And they called me three days later and said, hey, can you come take a PT test so we can see if you're like physically fit to take this job? And oh, by the way, if you do take this job, you have to join the army. I'm cool with that. And I was like, 
yes and yes. So I knew I wanted something more and I knew I was an athlete. And so I figured it wouldn't be hard for me to take a PT test and things like that. So away I went and I scored well and I shipped super fast. I interviewed in November. I signed the contract the 5th of December and I was at basic training the 2nd of January. Yes, super fast. And that is how the entire career for me went was rapid speed all the time. And you said you were already a mom, right? I was. Mm -hmm. So what was it like? You had to leave and go to boot camp and do all that stuff. And like, you can't take your kids with you. So how did you figure out like childcare? And how did you get all that figured out, especially with a short time frame? Yeah, so I technically was still married to my daughter's husband. Um, so my story is really wild. They were wild Jezebel kind of life. Um, I was a teen mom, married once, and had two sons from that marriage, divorced, and remarried when I was 20, 20, I think. So I had already been married twice by the time I was 20 years old, which is crazy. Rapid, right? My whole life, like a fire hose. So I left, obviously, the kids went to their dad. So the boys went with their dad, who was not really supportive. Like when we were married, I wanted to join the Air Force and he wouldn't allow me to because of the guardianship paperwork and all of that. So he, I don't think, was really stoked about it. And then my current husband, we were going to be getting divorced and he wasn't really excited about it either. But I knew that that's what my life was. That's what was shaping up to be my life. So I knew I was going to be the sole provider for all three of them when I was done with basic training. And so I did have to fill out a family care plan with both of them being the care providers. And that actually stayed my family care plan plan the rest of the time. Even when I deployed, they just went back to their fathers for that time. But basic training as a 22-year-old with three kids uh, was really wild. I actually, my daughter, I shipped when she was nine months old and she's 14 now, but I spent Victory Forge during her birthday. And so I got pictures like day three of Victory Forge um, in mail call of her party. And I'm like in my sleeping bag, just crying over these pictures. Like I missed this first milestone. And I did not realize how many milestones I would miss. I thought that would be the only one. And I remember just crying in my sleeping bag at night and then having to put on, you know, the soldier gear the next day and execute the mission. And so that was my introduction to motherhood and military life. Yeah, that would be really hard. Like a wake up to like the reality of what military life was going to be like and how how many sacrifices you were going to have to make. So with basic training, and did you go to tech school right after? I did. I went to Fort Jackson for boat. So I literally just went down the road to AIT for human resources. And I was in a pilot program for that as well to do it as a fast track. So I was at AIT for only, I think, eight, seven and a half weeks So I was gone. I was at basic training longer than I was at AIT. And then I came back to Missouri National Guard and went in uniform full time. So I had been in uniform my entire career every day in the fatigues. And now a word from our sponsor. It's lunch week for Freedom Sisters Magazine. I am so excited to be a part of the Freedom Sisters Magazine, and I'm so excited that it's finally here, and you can download the app and check out the first issue of Freedom Sisters Media Magazine this week. And this week on the podcast, I'm talking to Carrie Jeter, and she is the founder, creator, I don't know how she keeps all 
the tasks that she's doing done to put this magazine together. But you're hearing her story this week and you're hearing her passion for women veterans and how she came to where she is today. And so I'm so excited to share her story this week the week that the magazine launches. So go get your copy today. Head over to freedomsisters.com to get signed up, or you can go to the link in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. So I think some people might not know that you can do active National Guard. Is it AGR? AGR. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of ways actually to wear the uniform full-time if you are in the National Guard. It can be a dual status technician, which I kind of interchanged between dual status technician and ADOS orders, which are active duty operational service or something. I don't know what ADOS stands for. So you can do those two things or be AGR. And so as an M-Day soldier, I chose to be a dual status technician. That's how I got hired on full time. It wasn't that. So it was a GS scale. And then you still serve your one week in a month, two weeks a year. So you're basically working full time for the unit all the time to prepare for that one week in a month, two weeks a year that everybody else that is not a full timer comes in to learn or whatever training it is that we need to do, whether you're whatever your deployment cycle is or whatever big army pushes down that the National Guard needs to support. Those are the things that we prepare for all month long for that that weekend. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I think sometimes people don't realize like all the dynamics and complexities that there are with National Guard. So how many people were on active duty like with you that were working with you during that month getting ready for that one week in a month? It really depended on the unit I was at, to be honest. So most battalion level units, which is where I was majority of the time, I guess, there's probably 15 full-timers. And that doesn't include, so that's just for the admin staff. That doesn't include for, I was aviation, the flight line folks. So the flight line people, you're looking at another 45 to 50, depending on the airframe and all of that. Because I was... Army aviation, which was helicopters primarily. But then I became HQ, which is headquarters, HHC at a battalion level command as the second lieutenant, which is crazy, also very fast. And then we had um, fixed wings as well. So it just really depends on what kind of unit you are, to be honest. And then I went to Joint Forces headquarters and their staff, I mean, you're talking 200, 300 people on staff full-time at headquarters to meet the mission of the state. And we had about 8,000 soldiers. And did you enlist and then become an officer or were you an officer the whole time? I enlisted uh, because I had some college. I enlisted as a PFC. So as a private first class and I went from E3, which is a PFC to O3, which is a captain in six years. And I went that route via OCS. And again, OCS was fast track because in the National Guard, you can go 15 months, 18 months program where you're a traditional M-Day soldier, where you go one week in a month, two weeks a year to reset up your locker, to reset up and get in the mind frame that you're going to be attacked by TAC officers and like just put through the ringer one month, one week in a month, two weeks a year. And for my structure, my family, I knew if I was going to do it, I had to go fast track because again, of the kid situation, the timing of the year it would have been and all of those things. And coming up with care. I, I mean, I later in my career taught OCS, traditional OCS. And on the other side of it, teaching, you you were still putting in 60 hours. 
it was crazy. There would have been no way I could have worked a full-time job, gone to traditional OCS, took care of the kids and finished college. Are you kidding me? Like I had to figure out a way I could do it that was beneficial to my, my family. And so I went fast track. It was like 64 days of phase one, two, and three. And that was crazy. We went to the Alabama Military Academy down at Fort McClellan, Alabama, the home of the WAC. So that was kind of cool. The lineage there of going back to the same barracks that, you know, the pioneers of the Women's Army Corps lived, worked, breathed, ate. Um, So that was really special. But it was intense. And I definitely only recommend it if you have like the intestinal fortitude to get up every day at super early and stay up super late for 64 days of, I don't know, I'd say hell. It was hell. It was a lot of work. Yeah, I haven't heard anything good about OCS from the people that I've, and that sounds even more intense than what the other people have went through. I loved OCS. I, I loved it because I like high energy, but I loved teaching it way more than I loved going through it. Because now you, on the other side, you kind of see why they're doing what they're doing. When you're going through it, you don't really understand. But at the end of the day, like for me, it's like, you guys are future leaders. Could I entrust you with the mission? And then America's sons and daughters. And guess what? I have American sons and daughters in my home. And so you want to make sure that you could put as much stress on a soldier to ensure that they are going to act appropriately and do the right thing, regardless of the scenario they're in. And so it sucks, but only the ones that are meant to be leaders survive because you have to be able to manage your personal stress and all of that and still continue the mission and take care of your soldiers. And so it's really important for it to be crazy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's kind of the general feeling that I got from the other women that I've interviewed, that it's it's tough and it's for those reasons that you mentioned. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So is there anything from your time in the military that really stands out or like a memory that you want to share with us? Sure. So something that really stands out for me was deployment. And deployment for me from the beginning to the end was 18 months long because of primo then your MOB, and then you come back. And I also switched MOS's branches during pre-MOB. So I went from being a finance officer, which is what I commissioned into, to being a public affairs officer so I could go on this mission. They wanted me to go as their S1 officer, which that's a funny kind of story in itself. And I couldn't get into that school. And so I could get into PAO school. And so I was like, hey, look, and then check it out. The S1 officer was a first lieutenant, but the PAO was a captain. And I knew I was coming up on that promotion. But if I was in a slot that is not a captain slot, then you stay the rank that you are in the position that they assign you. And so I was like, hmm, how can this be mutually beneficial? Because otherwise I can't go on this deployment to support you. And so the commander signed off because they needed to fill the PAO slot also for me to go and trusted my abilities because I was already working for them in the S3, which is, I don't know, it's so complex. The National Guard will put able bodies where they need them that can do the mission regardless of what their MOS or their background is. And so I left and went to PAO school. And then the deployment, though, what was cool, the coolest thing about that is when we got to Kuwait, we were the first in after the Iraq, Iraqi um, down downsizing into Kuwait. And so we stood up partnerships and all of that. Well, what they did when they downsized from being in a like 
high-end war conflict to you know bringing troops home and 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 downsizing the troops there they pulled out the navy assets to overwater recovery and we flew helicopters and we were going on navy boats doing deck landing qualifications as a joint mission well if one of our helicopters would have gone down in the persian gulf it would have been over four hours for Navy assets to come back in to rescue our pilots. And we were like, absolutely not happening. Our, our brigade commander was amazing and very innovative and was like, we have a medic, we have a medevac. So let's train the medevacs to do overwater recovery. So I documented that entire program. We stood up a program in the Missouri Army National Guard for what is now a program for the entire army. We are ground assets, not overwater assets. And so that was probably the coolest thing that I had been able to be a part of. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And you were talking about like S1, S3, and if someone's not <laughs> familiar with the army, they might be like, what the heck? But that's just how the army breaks things down. And like S1 stands for personnel, S3 are like the tactical operations center. But it's just like <laughs> where the army puts people. Mm-hmm. That is really cool. And that's when I interview people who are PA career field they always tell the coolest stories of stuff they get to do and it's just amazing yeah it was cool because um i also partnered with the uso when i was deployed and so i gotta take people out on tours so like spartacus from showtime like super amazing good looking men that are gladiators or spartans or whatever that were on this thing and everyone was raving about and i gotta fly with them and mano mano i think is his name he we flew on this Blackhawk, right? And he was squeezing my leg and holding my hand. We were doing maneuvers that the pilots got scolded for later. But it was the best helicopter ride I had ever been on. But he was like freaking out and their faces were just so funny. And that was probably one of my most memorable experiences in the helicopter and on deployment. So yeah, PAO is legit. Like if you want to do anything in media and you're in the military... PAO, it always drives me crazy because I am a PAO. I was a public affairs officer, but public affairs is the branch, but a lot of enlisted get called PAO too. But anyway, I digress. But if you wanted to do any writing or you love broadcasting, radio, any kind of media, they've even created more social media things now for the program. Do it. Like, Figure out how to request on your 4187 to become a PA personnel. So super awesome gig. Yeah. And there's so many opportunities in the military that you would never get. If you're a civilian, you can't do until even the career field. I was a civil engineer and we were out on the ground watching buildings being built. And that doesn't usually happen in like the civilian career field and or it's something that happens only in certain jobs. And so you get so much responsibility and so much opportunity to do and there's like limited people so you're doing like 10 different things and you're learning about journalism and like taking photos and doing this and doing that and so it's really cool I just I mean obviously now I'm like oh I wish I went to PA school because it would really help me out now I'm like a fangirl of PA (laughs) I think it's the coolest career field but I think that has a lot to do with what I'm doing today yeah that's really cool so what was it like to integrate back after going to a deployment you were gone 18 months total and you were still active duty guard so it wasn't like you went back to your civilian job but what was it like just to integrate back into your family and just life in general so i actually left missouri and went to maryland after i got home from deployment 
to take a full-time position as a civilian, so no more uniform, and was going to transfer to the PAO office in Maryland for their National Guard. And I went to work for Defense Media Agency as a hometown news release person. Well, this was 2013, and I don't know if many of you remember, but the government was in like shutdown number two, maybe three. And when they shut us down, everyone from DMA went home and... I was super stressed because now I moved. I had a house back in Missouri. I was paying for rent in Maryland, which is not cheap. A job I didn't know and maybe shouldn't have even have took because I literally one day from my work headquarters, walking over to my chew, somebody had said, Hey, I've got a connection at the Pentagon that's looking for public affairs and it's, it's orders and you would have to move and all of that, but you'd, you'd be a captain at the Pentagon. So you'd be making coffee and taking notes more than anything. And I was like, I prayed to God walking from brigade to my chew. Like, if you just give me this job, I promise like blah, 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 like that kind of prayer. Well, I got the job. I still had other interviews that I had put out for and the DMA just seemed better because it was closer to where my sons were. And then there was less commute and all the other things. And so then I took the bright and shiny thing that I probably shouldn't have even took it to begin with and said, yes, I'll work for DMA over the Pentagon, turned down the orders and then got to work as a civilian. Well, then the furlough happened. So it was kind of like, what would have happened? Because everyone else that was in uniform still got paid during the shutdown orders or not. And so then we were told that they were shutting down hometown news release because it just wasn't a thing. It wasn't going to be a thing. So I did any rational thing, looked for a different job and moved across the country. (laughs) So I left Washington, D.C., came to Washington State for a position here with their PAO. And I didn't get hired on full time. So that was kind of an identity crisis for me because I was like, well, why not? They didn't know me. So I was coming with no reputation or no knowing, but I interviewed really well, but they just didn't hire me full time. I don't know if the what happened there, but no big deal. So then I ended up bartending again in Washington State. And I ended up being a spa receptionist, which rapidly changed into a spa director because they realized like all the things I could do for them. And a lot of my skills in the military from finance, HR, PAO, I managed like all of their budgeting. I managed all of their marketing. I managed all of their scheduling and then transferred all of their paper files to electronic files. So, cause I had all of that skill set, And then I competed for Miss Veteran America 2015. And they basically fired me because I was going back to the army full time and I was all focused on this competition. And so as I'm leaving to go compete, waiting for my orders from army, cause they wanted me to come full time at the OCS Academy here in Washington state. I had no job from like October to February of that year. But I left, I went to Vegas as a competitor for Miss Veteran America and left Vegas the winner. It's the only time I've gone to Vegas. I've been since, but that was my first trip and I came back a big winner. So even though I came back to no job, I was able to get unemployment until February. And then I went back into the Army full time until I got out in 2018. And let's talk a little bit about Miss Veteran America because it's a really cool program and I just learned about it right before I started the podcast. And so I want to hear about how you heard about it and how you got involved. And then what did you do when you were the winner? Hey, so I, fun fact, have actually competed twice. So January of 2013, a friend of mine had sent me a link about Miss Veteran America. I'd never heard of it when I saw it was quote unquote a pageant, which... 
they really hate that word in this better in America world because there's no subjectifying of women. So there's no swimsuit or it doesn't matter what your body looks like in order to win. It's a bunch of other reasons that they look forward to grade you on whether you become the winner. So the person that told me about it, actually, I only know her because when you're deployed, there's a cup of Joe program where civilians can buy soldiers or airmen or whatever, a cup of coffee where they're deployed from the coffee shack. And you could choose to just take the code and get your free cup of coffee, or you could become pen pals and write them and thank them for their contribution. So like any good PAO, I love writing and I love people and whatever. I think that's just my, my nature anyway. And I was very thankful because it was so selfless to just love on people where they're deployed. And so I wrote her and we became pen pals. So then she tells me about Miss Better America. Lighter ran some fundraiser for me, all these things. So in 2013, I took second runner up. So I was in the top three. And then I didn't compete in 2014. And not winning kind of hit me hard in 2013. Like it was like a, a punch the gut because Elena, who won, who, who was great friends, she did like a hula skit. Thing. And then the girl that was above me, she read off of a tablet somebody else's speech that she just performed. And I like Liz too. So I'm not like, but in my mind, I'm like, man, I wrote an original piece and recited it from memory and dressed the part and all this stuff. So I just felt like I was a cut above. And then they asked this, the questions in front of everybody. And you could ask me history and legacy all day long. But they had asked like, Elena, what do you think about the legacy you come from? And then asked Liz about the legacy of present day. And then asked me the question of the future women coming into the military. And I was like, I didn't want to repeat what they said. So I don't know what I said, but it was eloquent enough in 2013. And so then 2014, I didn't compete. I was in a relationship and he was deployed. And so I just was like, my mind, besides coming home from deployment, moving, trying to refigure out what I am, being in this relationship with somebody deployed and all of that. It was just too much to take on something else. And so I waited and God prompted me to go back in 2015. And when I say God prompted me, it was literally an act of obedience. Something that I, I always like toe the line and sometimes I step over the line in what is like quote unquote expected of me. So I was like, okay, I hear you. I'm going to do it. And so I went back in 2015 and competed just out of a walk of faith. And it was a spiritual journey for me that time. It didn't really matter the winning or whatever, but I was the only repeat contender that year. Most years you have like eight to 10 repeat contenders. I was the only one. So I asked like, hey, what's expected of me? And I was told, don't just think you're going to ride the wave. So you got to really put yourself out there and go above and beyond. So I did all I could during that year with fundraising, advocacy, all of that. And so 2015, I took I took home the crown. And literally, before I went out on the stage, I went back to the bathroom because nerves or whatever. And I'm standing in the stall, like just hands open, like head down, praying, Jesus, like this is, if this is your will. If it aligns, give me the words to say and let your will be done kind of thing. Like I will serve you. I will walk in obedience. I will do what it is that you're asking me to do. And I learned my lesson because right. I had already made this promise to him and I'm like, look, I I'm, I'm willing to give it all for you at this point in my life. And I went out on stage. I answered the question and ended up taking the crown. And my mom and everybody said like, our answers weren't that different. It just, mine just was like, it sounded like it was just a well, eloquently packaged answer. And my talent that year was 
banging. I'll have to send you a link. I wrote a skit and I changed uniform for the legacy of women who had served. And so I, I ended up getting a standing ovation and so did my first runner up, Rachel. She got a standing ovation too for our talents. So that was pretty cool. And the other thing when I won, so what you do, you become the spokesperson for Miss Veteran America and their other organization, Final Salute Inc. So you're talking about homelessness among uh, female veterans, which 70% of women who have served this country that find themselves homeless are, guess what, also moms. And for me, being military and a mom, that was unset because you're, you're stuck in a rock and a hard place. Do you tell somebody that you're homeless and risk the chance of losing your kids? Or do you you know, live in your car and keep your family intact. And so for me, I don't think anyone who served this country should be homeless and starting to learn about the statistics and that women veterans are also the fastest growing homeless segment in the segment of population of homeless people in the United States was absolutely disgusting to me. And so I was really passionate about the mission and really passionate about advocating for my sisters in service and just all women uh, who serve, not just the homeless um, demographic of our group. But as you know, you're my, this is my people, this is my community. And I'm so passionate about the legacy that we've stepped into in service and to continue to inspire and and educate and advocate for, for our veteran community too is really big. And so I, you're supposed to do 100 hours. By the time August rolled around in 2016, I already had clocked 500 hours of volunteer time dedicated to Miss Veteran America. Traveled a whole bunch, spoke all across the country, loved on babies, went to baby showers, parades, stood up at multiple home development HUD stuff, talked to just different organizations that wanted to support but didn't know, didn't know how to support. And so we would go talk at their events and things. And yeah, it was a wild ride. It was a good experience. Um, I skydived in a dress that was fun too for a promotion. And yeah, it was just a wild ride and such a good thing. And I really, that year of running around the country and speaking on behalf of my sisters in service is really where the heart of the ministry that I'm doing now began. And I didn't know that then, but I know that now. That's such a cool story, and it's crazy to see how that has translated into something that you're doing today. So you left the military in 2018, and why did you decide to go off, or not go off, but why did you decide to get out of the military? Go off the deep end, exactly. Why (laughs) did I leave? Yeah, that's a a great question. So (laughs) I was training to go to ranger school, training to go to captain's career course, for maneuvers to become infantry or armor. So I was preparing to go to triple C maneuvers course. I wanted to go to ranger school. I was in the running for that for my state. And then I would be pinning on major in 2017, January, 2017. So in June of 2016, the same year that I was doing all of the advocacy for Miss Better in America, I was supposed to ship for captain's career course in June. Well, May of 2016, I found out that I was pregnant. So here I am advocating for women veterans and trying to lead the way by getting being the first in my state to get that officer slot in the armor or infantry branch. And God had other plans. And sometimes for me, because I am super hard charger and stubborn and, and like I said, obedience is not always my thing. 
I had for the last three years kind of been contemplating, you know, is this right for me? Should I continue? If I'm in, I'm all in. Is this still the best place for my family? And I was kind of wrestling with God for over three years for that. So from deployment all the way through. And then that's why the civilian job seemed like a better option. Well, maybe he's showing me a sign, throw me a bone, right? And so then I'm like, okay, well, literally for the last 10 years of my life, I have no reason to believe that I could still even conceive. Maybe TMI, but I had no menstrual cycle. I had nothing like going on in my body. And all of a sudden there was a lot of activity and I thought maybe I had cancer or something was like crazily going on. And so I went to the doctor in late April, early May, and all the tests came back negative, including the pregnancy. So I'm just like, okay, Charlie, Mike, keep continue mission and still work out, still do all the things that I'm doing to prepare for ranger school and captain career course and things. And they were like, okay, well, we're going to give you this medicine to maybe try to jumpstart a menstrual cycle for you. And this was a Thursday and Sunday, I was supposed to start taking the pill and they just had this inkling, like just take one more test. So I took one more test and I'm 32 at this point. And all of my other pregnancies just were horrible timing, young, too young to begin having kids. I love all my children. So I'm not saying that their timing was not God's timing, but for my life, it just didn't seem like it was a good idea. The first and only, well, the second, I have five kids now. So this is the first pregnancy where I was like joyful. I was like, I jumped off, you know, I hit on the stick and jumped up and down. I was like so excited. And I was like, yes, yes. Like this is the coolest thing. And I have a really loving husband. Now we weren't married when we got pregnant, but we are now. And I just was like so ecstatic and realized, oh, I can't go to triple C now. So the army, which is just crazy. And this is like the only thing that really upset me about this is I, I'm an officer. Like I'm a leader. I will tell my commander myself that I am pregnant. And the medical section had already pushed that I was pregnant back to my command. And so I didn't even get afford the opportunity to have this conversation to cancel my school and all of that stuff before, before I could even talk to them because they had already found out. So that was a little bit irritating, but then I just like, you know what? I, I am going to finish my career here. This, I had OCS phase three coming that summer I rocked that. I went out in the field. I did all that I should have done. Seven and a half months pregnant, you know, doing the things that I probably shouldn't have been doing out in the field, but knew my body, knew knew what I could be successful at. And never once put on soft shoes because I was like, I am not going to look like that. <laughs> like I'm going to be in my boots in the fields, not in my tennis shoes in the field. And because I, you know, really it's a profession and I really do believe in the standards are there for a reason. And you know, if I'm going to be in uniform, I want to be in the correct uniform. I did wear the top, but I didn't wear the bottom. But yeah, so that was the way I got out because I was having a child again. I was getting ready to pin major, like I said, in January and take another command. And there was no way I could do that. I know the time commitment and to put an infant in daycare over 60 hours a week for somebody else to raise my baby, not happening. And I'm a firm believer in breastfeeding and bonding and all of that stuff. And it works for other people. And if I would have been a single mom, I might have stayed in because I would have been the only provider for this child. But, you know, we talked and it just made best sense that I got out and not him and to take care of the baby. And that's what I did. And I'm so thankful that I did. I absolutely miss it. And I missed it so much for probably the first eight months. And the worst part about it is they kept calling me to come back. And I'm like, yo, 
stop calling me. It's already hard enough. Like, I don't want to be in the army anymore. I'm going to do this thing. And the one thing that was like, always came to my mind and my mouth when I was leaving and, you know, the tag talked to me from my state, the assistant tag who we shared the same last name at the time was like, everyone called him my uncle. He came and talked to me. And so I'm talking like one stars, two stars, full kernels. Everyone was trying to convince me to stay in and everything that came to my mouth was, I can do great things outside of the army too. And God is calling me to do other things. And so I know I'm going to be fine. I know I love the army. I know that I'm all in, but I also just love God more and I'm trusting in what he's calling me to do. I think that is so important when you talk about transitioning. I can do great things outside of the military because I think Sometimes the military makes you feel like the only place you can do great things is in the military. And that's not true. You can take your experience in the military and then use it for your next step. And so I think if you're listening and you're in the military, and especially if you're like in that transition or you're going to get out or you're trying to decide, don't feel like you have to stay in the military to do great things. There's so many things after the military that you can do. And it's not the end. It's the beginning. That's what I like to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about what you're doing today because we met because I was a guest on your podcast, the Freedom Sisters podcast. So let's talk about what you're doing. And I know that the podcast is like a tiny little piece of all the things. So I'm going to let you explain it because I don't want to mess it all up. Yeah. So what I'm doing today is... I had started Freedom Sisters um, February of 2019. I had a dream. I went to bed just kind of a bit broken down. Like, God, you called me to do Miss Better in America. You introduced me to this network. You put it on my heart to speak and to advocate and to learn and to really love every woman who served. Good, bad, right, wrong, all of them. And yet I have no where to talk. I have nowhere to advocate. I have nothing to give. Like, where can I go? And I went to bed and I woke up to a literal voice telling me, and I don't know that it was God. It could have been an angel. Just could have been my partner in my dream. I don't know. Freedomsisters.com. So I grabbed my phone and I saw freedomsisters.com was available. And so I didn't jump on it right away because I had to pay for it. And I waited four more months and then finally it was like, okay, it's still there. It's still there. The more I like put it back in the browser, somebody else is going to see it. And I started having that irrational fear. And so I bought it. And then with the mindset of only being a podcast, actually like, okay, your job is to share other stories and you, you carry are have all of the skill set to do this because of what you've learned. And what you're going to do is you're going to have them come on the show and share their story authentically through the lens of faith. I want you to point people back to Jesus in a way that's not preachy or pushy or any of that. Just the journey of life, the hardships, the victories, the struggles, the good, and everything in between on their spiritual journey and where God showed up in their story. And so that's what the podcast is. I literally, I, and then I asked like a scripture, a book, and advice um, for every guest because I think that's really important. Books are life giving, scripture is definitely life giving. And sometimes, you know, you really need something to cling to. And so that's why I ask. And most of the time they're different. I think I've had Ephesians 4 16, 4 6 a lot, which is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But most of the time they're very different. And it's super cool to see how the living word is given to so many different people. 
And so that was where it started. And now, but I, I everything has been set up for like uh, what Stephen Furtnick would say. He is a pastor down at Elevation Church in North Carolina, and he had the sermon on flex space. And everything I have done has been like this flex space for God to expand and grow more. And so I have the podcast and I've started blogging again. Thanks to you. Actually, you kind of were the inspiration to really push that forward. Other people had given me some insight on how I could repurpose content. But after talking to you, I'm like, I'm all in to blog again. And so I blog, um, I'm getting ready to do my first live production of video for women in uniform and outside of uniform called Shiro Talk. And that's going to be an annual event of just eight women, eight minute stories, empowering other women to do hard things and giving our side of the history and impacting our communities, changing perspectives the whole night. So that's what um, another thing that I'm doing. And then I'm also going, now I'm expanding to YouTube and I'm writing a book and just all kinds of things. So Freedom Sisters has grown into a media company. We're a faith-based multimedia company that we talk about, we address the hard issues of politics, social social constraints and social injustices, and also spiritual issues through the lens of a woman veteran. Yeah. And then, so the media side of things is there's a lot of business elements that I could help people with. My main niche market is definitely women, veteran businesses and nonprofits to help them tell their story and gain some traction in media, traditional and non-traditional. So I do some coaching and things of that nature for them, branding, audits, podcast audits, and I can coach through certain um, things that they're troubleshooting. But then there's a ministry side of it too. And that to me being, well, what Megan Brown, who I recently met has coined, or I don't know if she's coined it, but a Christian communicator, to hear it in that kind of context and know that all the content that Carrie Jeter from Freedom Sisters will be producing is in that scope of being a Christian communicator. And The reason all of this matters and why I started it is because going through transition from being full-time military into the civilian sector, there are so many services and resources for us transitioning service members for, um, you know, housing benefits, health benefits, mental, physical, transitioning into the job sector. But the missing void still is the spiritual element. We are a complete being, we're physical, mental, and spiritual beings. And when we are not healing all parts of us, there's, we're going to still be lacking something. And so I want to step into that space. And my mission is to help women veterans amplify their voice and grow spiritually. And it's amazing. My goodness. It's just so amazing what's happening. Yeah, it is. And I, I really love the podcast and I really love the first interview you did where your husband interviewed you. It was, I was like, dang it. Why didn't I think that? (laughs) I just really loved, I loved his reactions and like some of his questions and just like how he views the world of military women after meeting you and marrying you and how proud he was of you. I just, I love that. It was, yeah. And there's the stories are so good. So I really I really appreciate it, and I'm so thankful that we connected through. I don't know how like you found me, but I'm so glad that we did because it's been such a blessing to me. Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, he's incredible. He will be the only male you will hear on the Freedom Sisters podcast because all my guests are women who served, but I was the guest that day, right? He was the he was the special host, and I plan on doing you know 
year reviews and see where his perspective has changed and things like that too, because I think it's important for our male allies to see the growth and then be able to express that growth too. And he is a good leader, man. His reputation preceded himself long before I met him in the army. And yeah, he's just such a special, special man. And he's a 26 year army veteran. So I'm also a male spouse, um, now a veteran spouse. And it's just really cool to see him support me, even though we don't agree on everything I talk about or everything like that, but he still stands firm in what God has called me to do and supports me that way. And actually we're talking about going back to school together to get a master's in biblical studies. So that should be interesting for us to grow in our faith together and then see how God uses that learning deeper of the Bible for both of us in in the next chapter of what he's got going on. So. That's so cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really loved hearing your story, and I'm really excited about what you're doing today. So uh, I guess I should, I'll link to you in the show notes, but if you want to give like your social media links, that would be great. And then I have one more question. Sure. Absolutely. So you guys could find me at www.freedomsisters.com for all things business, blog, everything there. And then my handle for Instagram and Facebook is Freedom Sisters Media. And I'm also on LinkedIn under Carrie Jeter. Yes, just like Derek Jeter. He is related to my husband. I get asked that all the time. So look up Carrie Jeter and you should find me on LinkedIn. That's awesome. And then my last question is, what advice would you give to young women who are considering joining the military? I love this. I asked, you said this on mine. I asked the same question. So right now, in this in this environment where we find ourselves. So we're recording pretty close to the time that Vanessa Guillen's case has been on every headline, every news station. And so even in this, when I'm seeing the no enlistment hashtag, I stand firm. Y'all, they win. The culture wins if we don't continue to break the barrier. So I say, do it. I say, stand firm, equip yourself with a good team, equip yourself mentally for what you're going to go into and prepare your body for the physical demand that the military does require of you. Don't show up half-hearted. If you're half-hearted, you're not going to enjoy the experience. If you're full-hearted into the lineage that has been established for women who serve, you will rock it. You matter. You're important. We need you. We need the army of women or military of women to continue to serve because change does not happen if we concede. Change only happens if we continue to sign up, we continue to serve, and we continue to show how important we are as military service members for the entire mission. There are jobs from, you know, being a cook all the way to being in command and everything in between. Play a musical instrument, you can serve in your military. So absolutely do it. Make sure you have reliable women who can back you, who have been there, find a mentor. Because right now in this day and age, you can't throw a rock without finding some kind of support group on Facebook or in your town that there is not a woman who will serve. So find somebody who can lead you well as you're going into the service, but do it. Yeah, I agree. I think, like you said, if we stop joining, they win. And that's not what, yeah, that's not what they, that's not what, we want we want to 
give justice for what was done, but also continue to serve and break barriers because then we can change the future and change the world. So that's great advice. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to chat and I'm so excited for when this will go live. Thanks. It's been fun. Thanks for having me, Amanda. listening to this week's episode of women of the military podcast do you love all things women of the military podcast become a subscriber so you never miss an episode and consider leaving a review it really helps people find the podcast and helps the podcast to grow are you still listening you could be a part of the mission of telling the stories of military women by joining me on patreon at patreon.com slash women of the military or you can order my book women of the military on amazon every dollar helps helps to continue the work I am doing. Are you a business owner? Do you want to get your product or service in front of the Women of the Military podcast audience? Get in touch with the Women of the Military podcast team to learn more. All the links on how you can support Women of the Military podcast are located in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and for your support.